Hello, and welcome to Happy Times and Places, in which I get a friend to nominate a Doctor Who story for me to watch. They have secretly chosen their favourite things about it, and I have to guess what they are. So let's travel towards Sylvester McCoysville for this one, and to find out what it is about this story that makes us go boo. You're listening to Happy Times and Places, a Doctor Who commentary podcast with me, Toby Haydoke. So, in case you haven't yet guessed what our story is, although to do that means you won't have read the show listings or any of the material that's actually got you listening to this, but come on, let's continue with the facade. Here's my special guest, who's going to tell you a little bit about himself and the reasons why he's chosen this story. Hello, Toby. Hello, everyone. I'm John Turner, or John Nathan Turner, if you prefer, but not that one, despite the massage. And I am an artist and illustrator based in Manchester. Uh, My last official Doctor Who illustration project was for last year's Chinese re-release of 12 Doctors, 12 Stories, so I'll let you off if you missed that one. Although, call yourself a fan. Anyway, Toby, the story that I've chosen for you this week is one that's very dear to my heart. It is Battlefield. Now, Battlefield has the honour of forming not just my first Doctor Who memory, but my first TV memory of any kind. So I would have been three years old on the original broadcast, although the third episode fell on my fourth birthday. And the scene where the Doctor goes down into a dark tunnel, that is my earliest television memory of any sort, which I'm sure is something a psychoanalyst could have a lot of fun with. Anyway, uh, Battlefield was rebroadcast in 1993, by which point I was a very Doctor Who obsessed seven-year-old, and as I'm sure many fans of a certain age can relate, at that point you had to grasp whatever Doctor Who you could get and treasure it. And my parents had bought their first VCR that year, so... I watched Battlefield and the other stories that were broadcast in 1993 many, many, many times. Although I've never quite forgiven my dad for forgetting to record episode three of Genesis of the Daleks. Uh, Battlefield also, and Toby can correct me if I'm wrong here, has the dubious honour of having the lowest audience figures of any original broadcast Doctor Who story. So I think it is ripe for a re-evaluation. So that's your job, Toby. Uh, I'm going to enjoy this £5 lemonade. You enjoy Battlefield, and I will be back later to tell you five of my favourite things. Wicked. Hello, Uh, my name is Toby, it's nice 
to see you or imagine you are there. Today, we are going to watch episode one of Battlefield. So uh, if you're watching along, I hope you're ready to press play or enter now. I've got it on glorious Blu-ray. Yes. Okay, it's the beginning. Gosh, the the final season of Doctor Who. And as John said, John Turner, lovely John Turner, who is a friend and colleague of mine. And I'm not quite sure how I've got a friend and colleague who was three when this was on because I was 15. What am I doing hanging around with a three-year-old? God, that ages me. It's funny as you get older, isn't it, that your adult friends you can't imagine a people that you you would have nothing in common with when you were a, a teenager or whatever. Uh, the ages get closer together. Um, so we're doing a McCoy. Not the first McCoy I've done on this. Already done Delta and the Bannermen, which I thoroughly enjoyed. Uh, recap, 1989, I was a furious Doctor Who fan. Old Doctor Who was good. New Doctor Who was bad. I was terrified that anything that Doctor Who did wrong, even a bad tree actually actually this is the first time i've watched this since i got into gardening i've i watch things now and get house envy i'm now getting pot plant envy i like a garden center what have i become but but yeah when um when i was this age i, I was furious with doc two and, and worried that any mistake it made would would one go, oh, mention of Sergeant Benton, 10 points. That's what it was like in those days. But anything any anything that might jeopardise the future of Doctor Who would make, or mean my friends at school the next day would mock me, would, uh, would be bad news. Although a lot of my friends sadly didn't watch Doctor Who. Uh, but I was always on the lookout. So I was a, so, well, I wasn't, I think. I was quite creative, wasn't I? But I was, but when, as far as Doctor Who concerned, I was very defensive and very cross. I mean, I see it now on Twitter, so I understand it. It's partially what this is about. Um, it's, it, I love that shot. That's a great shot. And I, I, and you, it looked like because there was a trailer for this where Sergeant Zabigniew featured quite heavily in, and he hadn't been mentioned in any of the pre-publicity. And there's something about sort of this season with a Polish. Sergeant and uh, it's a very a unit are very international in this, uh, which seemed so sort of fresh and interesting. And then you've got the Russians in a couple of stories time. And suddenly those sorts of voices that you didn't really hear, they weren't your go to foreigners in sort of earlier iterations of Doctor Who or, or, or television that I watched. I think they might have been in, in some more sort of adulty programs. But um, so it's, it, having Eastern European um voices and and and, and uh, it, it just seemed slightly fresh and slightly new and and it made it seem sort of slightly more grown up slightly less cliched i don't yeah than, than if he'd been i don't know you know french or german or whatever love the dark tardis too i've got to remember to i'm eating i'm only supposed to be eating until eight o'clock i'm 15 stone and it's interesting, you think, what, 15 stone? You, oh, you can't even be a character actor these days and not, not be chiselled. Worse for women, but I don't care. I'm watching Doctor at midnight. 
It's battlefield. And I'm having a naked bath. Um, I really like the Dark Tardis. I wish they'd done it. And it's because they didn't have many Tardis scenes under Andrew Cartmel, did they? I think that was a, a policy. He was a script editor who found the Tardis scenes sort of wasteful scene setting. Uh, and, and, and I think that's a, a good decision. Although it makes this fun to see the TARDIS again. And, and, it's, uh, and it's atmospheric because of the, the darkness. And that, that whispering voice is good. So that's all good. I, I, but as I said, I didn't like the story at the time. Um, and it's, it's, it's certainly nobody's favourite story. Yes, somebody will now tweet me and go, I think I'll find it's my favourite story. But it's not, it's not generally a, a well-loved story. But I, re I remember, it's weird because I remember quite enjoying watching it and being cross with it at the same time. How can you love something and yet be cross? But we're like, I'm finding that in lockdown. We're like that in lockdown, aren't we? We, we get crossest with the things that we, we love, don't we? Because instead of, instead of enjoying the, th you know, we take the things we love about them for granted and then, then focus on their, but that's what this podcast is about. Jimmy Ellis, I worked with him not long after this. My first ever professional job. Uh, Merchant of Venice, he played Shylock. And I played Man from Antonio and Leonardo. They have three lines between them. I say it was a professional job. I was a local schoolboy at the Ludlow Festival and applied to be a spear carrier and they needed somebody to do three lines and I did them. But, I, you know, yeah, it was a professional, professional theatre job. Um... It took me ages to realise that they were they were actually knights flying down. Um, nice to see Jimmy and Doctor. He was a very very nice man, uh, and his son Hugo was in the Merchant of Venice. Uh, and I did, only discovered relatively recently. Jim, Jimmy had a sad story because I love the light rising from the from the earth. That's lovely. That's Anselin, isn't it? I I I, I like that. Uh, and that and that music is good as well. Kev McCulloch gets some stick. I, I, he sort of made the stories race along, I think. And I I was of an age where I didn't listen to pop music particularly, but I did have Doctor Incidental music on tape. So the Kev McCulloch music, I'm I'm rather fond of. And people say it's it, it's a bit full on, but I no, I like it. It's I, I, it, it, it to me it helps it helps with the pace. Uh, and these stories need to crack along, I think. Um, and I loved Doctor Who's sort of anti-nuclear thing because I was young and, and, you know, nuclear was bad. It's interesting now that we think of nuclear power as, 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 as potentially better than stuff that drains fossil fuels, etc., etc. But, you know, we were, we were very, and the, I mean, the Labour Party at, at, at around this time, you know, you, you, your, your choices were the Tories and, uh, who who were pro nuclear and Labour Party? I mean, for some of the eighties, were um, you know nuclear disarmament, and and that was a reason for uh, well-meaning liberals like me to go. Oh yeah, that would that would be a marvelous thing, uh, and a nuclear. It's, it's weird because he comes up and salutes, but he was coming up and saluting a lot earlier then. So that's the longest salute. It's just a slight tweak in the edit it's just a slight yeah too long in the edit um and also he doesn't get i don't know who that soldier is he's got a line but he doesn't get a credit um 
which I always feel, it's an, it's an injustice I always feel for the uncredited speaking actor. Um, but, but yeah, it's interesting how hot the nuclear, <laughs> the nuclear issue was. And I was delighted that Doctor was taking it on. That, that's quite right, you know. Um, I was a very idealistic young man. We were very idealistic, sort of liberal family. Uh, CND badges, all that. And, I mean, the BBC did a nuclear season. I didn't sleep. They showed a thing called The War Game, which had been banned. So I wanted to watch it because it had been banned. Not because I was drawn to the sexiness of something that had been banned, but because it was like an archive gem. Um, oh, I watched it, and it was terrifying. And I had, to, and I slept. In my, I went to my sister's bedroom and said, "I want to, I want to sleep in here tonight." And I said, "Please tell me that's not going to happen." And she said, "It probably will, but not for a few years." That was just. That was as reassuring as she got. And I remember thinking, so I think this was mid-80s, so I'd have been 10 or 11. And I remember thinking, oh, well, if I make it to 21. <laughs> so the nuclear stuff. Yeah. And, I, I, and this was, some of this was in the trailer. And, uh, yeah, when the, whenever the doctor turns up, all hell breaks loose. I'm ashamed, it's sad we don't see any more of Zbigniew, Robert Jezek, who is, of course, Frobisher in the Big Finish uh, CDs. He's a good, he's a good voice man. He's Canadian, um, but of Polish stock. I had a chat with him once about his Polish heritage. He's got some really interesting things to say. Everybody's got an interesting story, but yeah, I like the the blue caps. They sit. They seem to me like a a sort of convincing international sort of peacekeeping kind of force. It's a slightly more grown up way of doing unit than than in the past, which I rather like. Oh, two! I was just going to say the brigadier is one wearing one of Doctor Who's rare cardigans. She's got. They've both got cardigans on. I've never noticed that before. I quite like a cardigan. And I wouldn't have said that ten years ago. Oh, we changed, don't we? Double cardigan, goodness! He's got a nice house again. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have cared ten years ago. I, this is property porn now. Oh, what, what can I do with that sort of? That's a hell of a garden, though. They must have people. Oh yeah, this was in the trailer too. This was the start of the trailer, I think. I used to take the trailers and watch them over and over again. Uh, and a cravat too. I'm. I'm rocking the Brigadier's look. That's who I would cosplay as. I'd cosplay as the Brigadier doing his garden. It's essentially how I dress now. I know I'm, I'm being very casual, but there's a plague on with... <laughs> nobody's doing it. I've done anything for six months. <laughs> Even the re relaxing cardigan seems a bit too formal for the plague time. And again, this is, you know... Do, this is the equivalent of the t at the time, in the late 80s, having a black female brigadier. God, Twitter would explode if the equivalent was a, of being as woke as anything. Of course, it, it, it doesn't seem unusual now. I think it was unusual then and laudable, uh, so to do. I, I really like Angela Bruce. I, I, the shame thing, I've since read that's because she supposed they imagined her, or it was written that she would be speaking in... Um, 
with a with a West Jamaican accent, West Indian accent, and and shame sounds, you know, that that is something that would would work um, if delivered in that way. Now it just sounds like they they were gonna have her swear and then they d don't have her swear, and it's it's a shame. It doesn't quite work. Shame, shame, <laughs> or shit. <laughs> uh, it was really nice to see Noel Collins because he was one of the desk sergeants in Juliet Bravo, which was a great series and a better series than I gave it. You know, when I was younger, it was just, you know, Saturday evening entertainment. I've got them on DVD now. It's a cracking show. And uh, so it's nice to see Noel Collins, who's sadly no longer with us. Um, he had lung cancer. I think he took... He took a cigarette company to court. He was part of a conglomerate, I think, of people that... I think he was quite a heavy smoker. Um, uh, of, of, of people who tried to take a, a, a cigarette company to court as a result of lung cancer. Oh, I like John's joke at the beginning about his, uh, his £5 lemonade. Uh, £5 for a glass of lemonade. I don't know. No, glass lemonade still not five pounds, is it? Um, I remember, yeah. I remember finding the sparks a bit, the sparks from the gun a bit, too. Strobes. I like the sort of sparks you see on top of the pops, rather than the sort of sparks you see emit from an alien energy weapon. Let's see how they've aged. This is certainly rattling along. Um, and I remember loving all of this stuff. You know, the... Yeah, I don't like those sparks, but that's okay. Um, this is great stuff. This is great stuff. Look at this. Medieval knights on 20th century Earth. This is terrific. That's a, I like the sword fight. I like a sword fight, um, and I like the hair coming out of the, 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 the back of the helmet. Uh, yeah, the sparks and the guns aren't great, which is a shame. Um, that's Christopher Bowen, isn't it? He was rather big news. So I think his bottom had become quite famous in a drama um, that I forget the name of now, and it wasn't a drama. I think I seem to recall it being sweaty and set in Singapore or something, um, and everybody watched it, um, but I didn't. But his, his picture is everywhere, so I was very excited when somebody from a programme that I didn't watch but that everybody talked about um, was cast in Doctor Yeah, uh, but isn't it interesting how how fame works? Because I suspect... I mean, I've seen him pop up in a few bits of bobs. He was in a thing called Castles that Sarah Griffiths was in about five years after this. So he had quite a purple patch of doing a lot of work, and he's in the... Richard the Third. He's only at the very beginning, but it's a movie, um, so it's a good credit of um, Ian McKellen, uh, and he's got a good sort of leading man, handsome ex-public school leading man kind of face. He's not. He looks not unlike Matthew McFadden, that terrific actor who's not been in Doctor Who, which I think is a shame. His wife Keely Hawes was in Time Heist, but Matthew McFadden uh, has not been in. Uh, Doctor Who, I'd quite like to see. I think he'd have been quite an interesting, enigmatic Doctor Who. Um, this is June Bland, who was Berger in Earthshock, who was married to Bill Sellers, who directed The Celestial Toymaker. 
Um, I like she. I like the fact her character is is blind. Um, my other half might get quite cross because my other half is a disabled actress, actor. I think she says actor. No, does she say actor? Actually, I know some people get cross about one and some people get cross about the other, and I don't care either way. Um, so just imagine she says the one you like. Um, and my partner would say, you know, and campaigns to get better disabled representation on the telly. Um, and I remember we watched, what's the one with uh, the superhero who's, who's blind? That one. And I remember we... Um, we watched the first episode of that and I said, you'll like this, it's a blind superhero. And she said, is the actor blind? And then there was this one-take fight scene. <laughs> and I went, I don't think so, no. <laughs> um, so nice to see. Of course, the, this was scary because the Brigadier was back and the whole, it was Storm Over a Valley and it was going to be called. Uh and, and, but it was it was exciting because it was uh, touching the past because Jean Marsh is there and she'd been in Doctor Who. Regular. Of course, she'd been in the Dalek Master Plan with Nicholas Courtney. It's a Dalek Master Plan reunion. Oh, poor tree. Um, and um, but of course, the 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 way it was sold was that is the Brigadier going to die? Uh And, um, you know, we, so we spent the whole thing on the edge of our seats. Well, knowing that if he was going to die, it wouldn't happen until episode four, but with a real possibility that they were going to kill off the Brigadier. I'm glad they didn't, because uh, he got to be in the Sarah Jane Adventures and... Um, Jimmy didn't really know how to use that phone, did he? Um... He was a very nice man, James Ellis. He was he was a good actor. Um, he was he was yeah he was Shylock in this Merchant of Venice, um, and he was he had a real twinkle. And it, yes, in the but he yeah he had a sad story. His one of his sons was murdered um, in London stupidly, um, and he just had. I love that bit. Waiting for me. That's great. And he went when I worked with Jimmy. He had a young son called Toto who had just been born. So yeah, he was a he was a twinkler with Jimmy. Because uh, he was quite old then. Um, uh, and it was really weird because I, I put something nice on Facebook or Twitter when Jimmy died, and 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 a, and a comedian colleague of mine, well, ex comedian really, and so he, you know he he, he he one of his workmates. Uh, he showed one of his workmates my Facebook uh, post, and it was Jimmy's son Toto, who was no longer two, is now a you know grown man with a profession. Um, but but that much to Venice we did. I worked with uh, another of Jimmy's sons, Hugo, um, and I only recently discovered that Hugo. Um, uh, uh, um, took his own life and, and predeceased Jimmy so Jimmy lost two of his kids which I just think for anybody who with kids you know that's the one thing you mustn't do is predecease your children I think that's so tragic um, now this is quite yes I remember being furious with this it, how do we like this everybody do we like the boom scene um, 
I don't even know if I've been seen on camera. <laughs> Used to be this camera. Um, I mean, it's... Don't do alliteration if it's if it's if it's not. Yeah, I, I'm. I know I have to accentuate the positive. So I like the hand grenade. I I didn't quite understand what was going on here. Uh, I, yeah, I, it's a sign of the budget, really. I, they have a good stab, um, but that that whole sequence d doesn't really work. I like Xiao Young's red stockings. I'm, I'm trying to accentuate the positive. Yeah, that, that, yeah. Um, okay, oh, look. That will be great. But I'm enjoying this much more than I did at the time. But, of course, at the time, I was furious young man. Uh, got nothing to lose now. And John is right. This was this is the lowest rated, which is a good sign that the that the series went up in the ratings. That's a great shot with the with the, the shadows and the, the, uh, the, the shadow of the... Um, otherwise unforgivable <laughs> umbrella uh, and I like the way that they go who's that together um, and this is an underrated performance I think Marcus Gilbert is great he, he's got and he was he became quite big news it's the thing about Christopher Bowen as well I, was, I sort of interrupted myself which happens a lot um, is that you know you can be big news as an actor for a while and then and then not be uh and and that's been a that's been a real lesson when following the fortunes of uh of of doctor who actors how sort of fleeting and meaningless uh, a lot of it is which makes steady underachievement for most of one's professional life not seem so bad <laughs> and angela douglas now she was the sort of person my mum uh sort of knew more than I it was it was good I sometimes think John Nathan Turner spent extra money on 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 people who brought no value because nobody knew who they were except him um but but actually I like I, his casting policy was often quite interesting and I actually think one of the joys of watching Doctor is sometimes watching somebody you would go oh that's a bit of miscasting or that's slightly left field and and it works and some of the some of the best performances in Doctor you know, casting William Gaunt in, in, in that part in um, Revelation of the Daleks is a masterstroke. He was known as a sitcom guy. So I, I, don't, I don't mind bold casting in Doctor Who because it's a bold show. I don't mind casting that seems like, oh, what, hang on, that's that's come out of nowhere. That That's a bit... and Some that I would object to at the time, and maybe they did send out the wrong message at the time because Doctor Who didn't have the best reputation. He's... It, but, no, Marcus Gilbert's very good. Uh... He, he, you know, he gives very convincing night. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, 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 I mean, this is... I, I, I seem to recall one of the newspapers being cross that um, that the episode ending was... Oh, no, believe it. Is the, the episode ends with saying, kill them, kill them now. Um, now, I, I have got to think and not just keep because well, I have to talk and think at the same time doing this but I think I've really let myself down on some of the choices because uh, I've overlooked something that I really liked and in desperation picked something fleeting and trivial um, what what is my favourite thing about episode 
one. Uh, I hope you're enjoying this, by the way. Welcome to my house. Matthew Purvis, assistant floor manager, is the son of Peter Purvis. Um, oh, Ian Dow, the uh, OB lighting guy. He, he, he loved working with Sylvester and Sophie. Um, they're very well-liked people, Sylvester and Sophie. And Scott Talbot, who does studio sound, if you ever see him on the uh, on any of the documentaries, he looks about... He's never aged. Um, so, uh, right, well, okay, we'll get to the end of the episode, and I will... I will... Um, do I pause? Yes, because Mike... Oh, I need to talk about Michael Kerrigan, the director. Well, look, um, uh, that means my tea's probably gone cold. Um, oh, I hope my tea goes cold when I do the rescue, because uh, that's on the planet Dido. Save that joke for the appropriate story, Toby. Okay. That sort of gold might never occur to me again. Um, I've half an idea that this camera hasn't <laughs> picked me up at all. Right, so. My favourite thing, I've lined up John's favourite thing. My favourite thing about episode one is, uh, well, I like, well, I think I like the concept of knights in armour um, juxtaposed with current military hardware it's very you know that idea the whole because it's it's not just a clash of that wonderful doctor who thing of uh, the ancient and the modern but it's also it's about modern weaponry and nuclear weapons and and you know knights are associated with chivalry and honor and all that sort of thing and the way that we sometimes dress up war which is actually generally killing people um so it's, it's a lot more than just a surface thing so the, yeah hoiking some ancient knights uh, and juxtaposing them with the current military and a nuclear missile on a lake, um, and the idea of knights with laser guns—I do, th I, I, although I don't like the sparks—is um, is is neat because that means all of that the swords of the of their sorcery, the, the swords of their uh, are sort of ceremonial, um, uh, and you know all the sword fighting is is. You, you know, is to do with the, the proper way of doing things, which I, which I think is, you know, it, it, it's it makes for good, exciting sword fights, but it's also it's also again a sort of comment on yes, we do things a certain way, although what we're doing is butchering. So knights in the twentieth century is my favourite thing about episode, and I like the screaming music that goes with them as well when they and when they rise up out when he rises up out of the hill and it's got that screaming music theme, yeah. So that was a lot of things, wasn't it? <laughs> Don't care. Right, what did John say? Hi again, everyone. Hi, John. Hello, Toby. Uh, so I've decamped to the beer garden of the Gorko Hotel to tell you <laughs> five of my favourite things about Battlefield. Um, and it's been hard because I have a lot of favourite things about Battlefield. Um, but the first choice is one that I think is deeply uncontroversial, and that is the return of Nicholas Courtney as the Brigadier. Um, obviously this is his last on-screen story, certainly in the main show. Um, I choose to ignore that Cyberman thing that happened. Uh, but I, I think he's wonderful here. Um, I think he's given lots to do in the story, which is great. Um, and I really like how his dry, sort of understated acting style contrasts with 
some of the, shall we say, larger than life acting uh, going on from uh, other cast members. Um, I love his interplay with Doris and with Lavelle. They make a, a nice uh, short-lived double act. Um, I also think he, he gets all the best lines in this script. Um, I think my favourite is uh, just between you and me, Mordred, I'm getting a little tired of hearing about your mother. And of course, uh, get off my world, which I think sums up the Brigadier's attitude to most alien life pretty well. Um, yeah, I I think this is a fitting final story for the Brigadier. Um, I think it's lovely. Yeah, good choice, John. Uh, and of course, a canny choice, because I'm bound to have chosen the Brigadier at some point uh but now i can't because he's chosen him for episode one so that's quite good because it forces my hand because stops me being unimaginative um and also i uh, for those that maybe not seen all this i'm going to try and resist going that bit that actor does or or something that's tight because i think that's quite boring of me because that's i talk about actors and bits that actors do or the fact i know a fact about an actor all the time so i'm just trying to be more interesting i'm trying to be interesting um, and if I'm failing, I'm sorry. But if you're still watching, it's your fault. Um, I've still got tea on my knee. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed uh, rattling. That rattled through. That's what I really like about that. Um, we think sometimes of sort of old telly, and that is now 31 years old. That's terrifying of being a bit pedestrian. There's a real rattly pace to that, and the much maligned Kef McCulloch is responsible for a lot of that, I have to say. Um, and yeah, there are bits that didn't work, but we're not here to talk about those. Um, um, so I'm not even going to do that, because you can go anywhere on the internet to find people banging on about the bits that didn't work. Um, so, I, so, you know, let's let's put a bomb under those. Let's Let's make them go boom. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm going to watch episode two right now. We're going to chew. We're going to go with episode two. Press play now. I don't know how many times I press play then. Now, I've got my pen and paper because uh, I didn't write down anything last time. And because I'm so addled, unlike the fresh-faced 15-year-old who watched this when it first went out, oh, there's a lot of water under the bridge. Um, I do like the TARDIS in the bubble. Um, this was, I mean, this was the most sophisticated thing ever when I was a kid, this TARDIS was when it first began, but maybe talk about that when we do Time and the Rani. Oh, there'll be a lot to talk about when we talk about time and the Rani. Um, Battlefield. Ben Aronovich, of course, had written Remembrance of the Daleks, which everyone had loved. I was quite... I love Marcus Gilbert. He n totally nails it. He's got that real convincing night acting thing going on, which takes a certain quality of actor, and he's got it. Um, and as I say, it was because he was in the... Um, he, he did, shortly after this, he did Riders, which was a sort of, um, with Michael Prade from Robin of Sherwood, a kind of, um, it was a Jilly Cooper thing, wasn't it? Um, you know, bottoms and posh people shagging, basically. 
Um, Christopher Bowen had done a bottom thing prior to this, so this is sandwiched between two handsome men's bottoms uh, in terms of their TV career. Um, but as I say, Marcus Gilbert was then around because he was in the third um, Army of Darkness, the Eve third Evil Dead film, playing I Saw a Knight. Um, and then he was in the Gold Blend advert. He was the sort of the, the second generation of Anthony, Anthony Head. Uh, so, you know, I, 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 I love the fact that I... Because I didn't know Marcus Gilbert at all prior to this. And I don't think he was mentioned in the, the, the publicity material all that much. Which is a shame, because he's great. He's got that slightly sort of bite, that whispered chival... You know, he's chivalric, but he's got that... You could, he's a fighter as well. But he... Yeah, he... he oh... And Merlin as the Doctor. Now, I uh, i mean, I'd seen Excalibur, but I was largely distracted. That's got lots of bottoms in it, too. Um, this is a very bottomy podcast. Um, <laughs> I do like the way Sylvester McCoy says that. I, I don't know if it's the effect he's going for, but more um, Anselin's there going, remember Baden and his mighty arts, he's being very serious about it. And then... And then the doctor says it as if as if he's saying yeah, yeah and I've got a, I've got a nice Hoover. Um, he's he's sort of he he, he, he 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 but he does it in a sort of doctorish way, which which it sort of undermines all the um, all all this sort of medieval posturing. The way he sort of talks about mighty arts as a, as as if they're just a thing he's got in his bag. Um, oh, I, I yes, I must try and get to grips with Xiao Yong. Um, oh, I seem to recall just doesn't do all that much. But again, ah, we'll come to her later. I love Flight Lieutenant Lavelle. Uh, I had the privilege of interviewing Dorota Ray, who sadly uh, died a couple of years ago. I was really shocked by that. She was a very stunning woman. Uh, and of course, you, you don't really see... She, you do see her long hair when she in the, in the next episode. But uh, yeah, she was... Uh, this, is, this is so woke, uh, which I'm, I'm, as, a, as, a, as a good thing. I'm, now I'm a bit curmudgeonly about some, some things from the modern era. So I'm, I don't know if I would be counted as... Woke by some, I th I, I just want everybody to be happy. But I, I uh, and it's interesting. And I, actually, you don't, you don't know. You, it's only when you look back and think, did we think that? Did those things that that progress is all about doing things that seem heretical? Uh, and and I, and, it, and it's and I think even now. Well, in fact, I talked about it when when I did turn left. The idea of a of a female black officer was enough to get people, you know, calling it all sorts of names after the sun. Well, this is, you know, 20 years prior to that. Um, so should be applauded. And I, I like the look of these scenes with the with the with the light and the crystal balls and uh, all, all of that sort of nighty stuff is good. I, I, I seem to recall his his laughs aren't in sync later on, which spoils it, which same because he looks great. Christopher Bowen with the with the long sort of Greasy hair is the wrong word. Wet, wet hair and the stubble. And he looks, you know, it's a great, great look, all of that. Um, 
I do like the fact that these two have had a big old fight. Um, <laughs> he's so charming. Uh, if I was a lady, I would fall for Anselin. Um, oh, this is, yeah. This is a good scene. with, um, And the lights go down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I love all of this stuff. This stuff. I mean, it's it's just... You know, it's not not plot or anything. It's just to get you all excited. And, um, you know, you wonder... Well, I was going to say you wonder where the light's from. No, you don't. It's from the lightning. That's fine. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, don't, <laughs> don't get much CSO in those, de those days. Uh, what was I talking about? Uh, oh, yeah, being being woke. No, it's being it's being progressive, and and again, you have lots of diff different nationalities. Uh, and, you know, okay, some it might be lip service or nods uh, to progressiveness, but that's right. Sometimes a uh, a nod is better than no acknowledgement at all. Um, that that was a great shot of Lavelle in the Brigadier, and him asleep, and her being amused. There's a lot of lovely interplay between the two of them. That is that is, I think, above and beyond the call of duty for what they have to contribute to the story. Um, I love all, I love all of this. And I like this, I like this piece of music. I like, I love this lighting. Um, but poor old Christopher. If, I mean, say to any actor, just stand there. Like, and Brigadier's eyes open here, don't they? Yeah, that's great. This is all great. And it's dark and it's nighttime. Don't, nighttime is not in Doctor Who as often as we think it should be. Oh, night has fallen here. Don't they have that? Yeah. I mean, poor Christopher Bowen. What? Why are you laughing? Uh, and you bet he's got. Oh, please, can I stop? No, no, need a bit more. He's got to do a quick, a quick panning on to you. What am I laughing at? You're just, you're bad. You're a baddie who's happy. Oh, God, all right. Love you. Yeah, don't tell the kids to watch Doctor Who. I get. To, I have to do a really stupid bit. <laughs> Quite like the Doctor Who set in a pub as well. That was on the trailer. If not the trailer, the coming coming soon tonight. Because oh, he's still blooming going, isn't he? He's and I, I, I and they've had to they've had to dub him on afterwards. Um, yeah, I'm sorry, mate. Well, I mean, I, I'm not criticising you. I was I, I I don't think you should. Have, and he's, he's very handsome too, isn't he? He looks great. Um, That's a brilliant shot. The, the the doctor going out of focus and, and Anselin with all his gravitas uh, rising up behind him. I love that shot. Um, that's Jean Marsh off of off of the Crusade and the Dalek Master Plan and practically every film that needed a witch at around this time. It was almost, I remember sort of going a bit, because, uh, you know, I love the idea of Jean Marsh off of Doctor Who being in Doctor Who, but part of me was like, but she's already been in Doctor Who. And we could have had another famous actress and she's done loads of witches. But, um, and of course she'd been a companion, so it's a bit like, I mean, I don't really consider Sarah Kingdom a companion, to be honest. 
Um, but don't write in. <laughs> um, but it, well, I suppose it was like a, a regular coming back. Um, but I remember being quite cross that she's higher than Nicholas Courtney in the credits because he's he is a regular. He's second lead in in, in uh, season eight. So and then, you know when when one of the doctors comes back, when Patrick Troughton comes back, he gets second billing before Nicola Bryant uh, because he's the doctor. So I figured somebody who's a former companion. That's a great shot as well. The sun rising up and that scream at the end as the lights go down. That's all really nice stuff. Um, Although, you know, the cold light of day on videotape is not... That would be so much more atmospheric on film, wouldn't it? Um, the sort of the dawn, you know, the, the dawn. Um, I do like the Doctor tidying up the garden. Oh, and I like the way that these two wake up alert, yes. Uh, Anselin and Bambera uh, asleep, uh, resting on each other. Uh, and, he, yeah, and uh, and the fact that when he wakes them up, they stand alert. I rather like that. Um but yeah, it would have looked amazing on film, wouldn't it? That uh, uh, that dawn. But yes, the brig. Yes, the brigadier. I felt should have felt. But a helicopter was big news. In fact, I remember one of the newspapers at the time going, "Oh, yeah, they've thrown a lot of money at this. He's got a helicopter." Never occurred to me a helicopter would be an expensive thing. Yeah, she's uh, she's great, Dorota Ray. Um, as Flight Lieutenant Lavelle. Uh, obviously, she's not really a helicopter pilot. Um, yeah, okay, funky music, yep. Why? I wonder why I was so cross with this at the time. I was just cross. <sighs> I was 15. I've got a 16-year-old now. He's cross. No matter how you try to stop them being cross, they get cross with you. I suppose like, and I suppose Doctor Who was a bit. My dad wasn't around, so Doctor Who, my mum was busy. Doctor Who was, I was a bit like my parent. When you get cross with your parent, don't you? And the things it does to try and press you, you go, oh, you get fed up with what you're trying to do. Trying to, that's rubbish, Dad. Um, but it also makes you feel cosy and comfortable and safe. Doc, Doctor Who is my dad. <laughs> That's a terrible old cliche, isn't it? But it's sort of, um, it's sort of true. Uh, you know, it's, it, it's fulfilled an educational, uh, a comforting, uh, a constancy uh, of a role in a role in my life. That's great. <laughs> and it is extraordinary to. The, wouldn't be allowed a companion that, that was an arsonist juvenile delinquent who blew things up these days i don't think i didn't really think much about it at that time and i i didn't like the nitro nine cans they didn't look, look like deodorant cans to me um they look more like thermos flasks it's amazing how what, what things spoil things for you um a great line only when I'm drunk, sir. <laughs> I love these two. I want a series with Flight Lieutenant Lavelle and, and the Brigadier. Um, oh, call me a lady, but break your nose. Yeah, I like to see that. There's, in fact, because 
you know, we, we lord Robert Holmes's double acts. There's, 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 you know, when you haven't got much money and you've got to fill four episodes, you know, you, you, you tell a story through characters and through character interaction. And I'm enjoying being with all of these characters. Uh, well, yeah, because of course she she destroys the. Now this is directed by Michael Kerrigan, who at around this time he he, he was sort of completing a, a jigsaw puzzle because he and Andrew Morgan had directed a thing called Knights of God, so it seemed quite sensible that with Morgan not directing this series, uh, the other Knights of God director and Knights of God was something that I rather enjoyed. That had you know knights with machine guns and is a sort of and Patrick Troughton was in it and Gareth Thomas was in it uh, and, and and John Woodvine so you know lots of who type people Nigel Stock but it had been sort of delayed and it got uh, um, and I remember when I when I caught it uh, uh, you know thoroughly enjoying it but if I watched something that was on the other side because it was ITV that was sort of sci-fi. Even though I wasn't one of the houses where the ratings were registered, I felt like I was betraying Doctor Who and I shouldn't be I shouldn't be helping out the competition. So I rather and that stretched for so long. I mean I it took me ages to watch Buffy the Vampire Slayer because I somehow didn't wanna I didn't want to acknowledge that I might like that because that would come at the expense of Doctor Who. It's like you can only like one thing. It's it's a it's a peculiar well, being a Doctor Who fan's quite peculiar. I'm, yes, okay, um, but that sort of loyalty that that um, we have to the show that, that I sort of and I, you know, I videoed this and I videoed this and I was bit wasn't didn't have much money, so I didn't buy as good videotapes as I would have liked to have bought. And I remember there was a slight flicker at the top, and I remember thinking, oh God, but what if? You know, what if something happens is this is the only copy left? It's got to be as good quality as possible. Because, again, you know, you harboured that fantasy. That's why you had to record everything to do with Doctor Who because because Doctor Who had gone missing in the past. And what if yours was the last? I don't know what sort of Armageddon or apocalypse is going to happen or what sort of or, or, or what sort of miscreants would go around destroying all of Doctor Who apart from my copies. I did live in the middle of nowhere, so they would have struggled. <laughs> but I, I, I don't know under what circumstances... I thought mine would, but I it was. I remember. Oh, I used to ache with worry about those little flickers of videotape that I'd somehow destroyed history. Gosh, it's a minefield liking a thing and <laughs> being young. And well, it doesn't actually get easier when you get any old. I still, my heart still fluctuates over unimportant things. Um, you in you enjoy? Yeah, you're enjoying. Now this is this is neat. I didn't really understand this at the time, and I don't like it when baddies fall out with each other. I find it, I always get annoyed in Twenty Four when a new baddie comes in and kills the baddie who's been in the previous episodes because they're bored of that baddie and they need a new baddie. It feels like you're doing the hero's job for him if the if if the baddies out turn on each other. But this is really interesting because they're mother and son. I did, as I say, I didn't quite understand this when I was younger. Um, and it seems so obvious now. Um, that's a great shot. But yeah, the idea that he's desecrated the war dead and that they're, you know, that they're, they're on in a, in a civilized place and then you, and you have to, you have to acknowledge that is gives, gives nice depth and, you know, it ties in with that chivalry thing. Um, 
and this is this is rather fun that uh, that she goes. Oh, all right, mate. Yeah, you're you're one of my lot. We're not we're not having a we're not having a fight now. Um, but battle queen of the Strax. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's quite an introduction. I have to admit, I I wasn't wild about Gene Marsh's performance at the time. I like the fact he does lecture them in archaeology. <laughs> and that's a great shot as well. So it's actually, I'd, I'd, remember, I'd, I'd remember not liking Gene Marsh particularly, finding him a bit arch-witchy, uh, and, 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 and not being wild about Michael Kerrigan's direction. But I, I'm, I'm certainly liking the way he's composed some of his shots and, again, the pace that he gives to it. Um... Uh, and I like the smoke. I, I'm not. I'm not wild about the green light in in this set as it opens out at the end of the episode. But we're not there yet. But um, Michael Kerrigan, Andrew Morgan, because Michael Kerrigan came back and uh, directed for the Sarah Jane Adventures. Amazing that you know he's one of those ones that sort of straddled. Nobody really talks about that much. That yeah, he. Um, and then, but then he, he and he, he's on the DVD for Battlefield. I never saw him interviewed about Sarah Jane, and then he and then he died. Um, again, relatively young, but but Andrew Morgan told me that he he never slept. He had this weird constitution whereby, uh, he, you know, he would do, he would work all day and then sort of go out and, and carouse and and then and then come back to work seemingly unaffected. Um, so interesting character, but I don't know much about him apart from from that and that he directed this one story, which is weird to think because he's. He's a relative, you know. He's he's relatively recent in in Doctor Who's history. I, the fact that I know, yeah, this is thirty one years ago. I still think of this as quite new Doctor Who because it was it was on when I was, you know, the, looking back at historical Doctor Who, which was old and fusty and black and white. This is, now this is um, the Knight Commander. Here is Stefan Schwartz. Forgive me if I've pronounced that incorrectly. Who directed the episode of The Boys I watched the other night? He has directed loads of massive American television shows, um, uh, and yet he's playing, you know, a very lowly part in this. He's had an amazing career as a director. Um, but yeah, I was watching The Boys last. Oh, it's The Boys tonight. Sorry, I'm watching. I thought I was. I should be watching The Boys now, and I'm watching Battlefield for you, <laughs> and I'm enjoying. Almost every minute of it. Um, I think you'd cut to the chase a bit more now. I think you'd, I think you'd be in there. But, but these two have such a great rapport um, that it's very nice. But uh, um, I, I'm commandeering. Yeah, <laughs> I love these commandeers of two CV. That hadn't occurred to me at the time as being anything. I, I just thought, oh, it's a bit, you know, it's a bit low budget. It's a bit, but actually, <laughs> the, the fact that he commandeers a two CV. Is glorious. That's a that's the best car he could have commandeered. Um. Yeah, I I don't think the model really works um un, under the water. Um. Yeah, it's a, storytelling's not always clear, but that's making videotape uh largely videotape studio bound multi camera. Um, this set's actually pretty good. Uh, for some reason, I'm again at the time I wasn't wild about it. I think I might just not have liked the green 
I sometimes I, th I think maybe I sometimes think of green as a bit of a lazy color with sci-fi. Um, Oh dear. Um, she has. She's deserved some paint box. Was paint box was huge at the time. This uh, it was like CGI with crayons. <laughs> um, and and had been sort of trademarked by the Chronicles of Narnia. That's where it really. And that looks. I mean, that looks like a sort of picture book now. That show. Um, but this was, you know, this was, this was, it was state of the art. This was, uh, these, these, these worms. Um, actually, they look okay. I thought they would look terrible. Um, uh, but actually, they look all right. They look okay. Um, that's good, because the, the camera did look like it, it hit him. Um, it's not a dead end. It's a cupboard. You've walked into a cupboard and said, Doctor, it's a dead end, and then stood there waiting for the door to... That's, again, that's not Sophie Aldred's fault. That is the difficulties of staging uh, a, a, a drama on a, on a you know, set in a multi-camera, blah de blah de blah Especially a deadly set where the glass breaks and the actress nearly dies. But uh, you need to watch the DVD documentary for that. That's the bit. I love that, the way it hits him in the face. You look, It really looks like it got his teeth then. Um... Um, yeah, of course, that was very, very dangerous to um, to Sophie Aldred there. That uh, that see, but the way she got trapped in the dead end, um, yeah, uh, you, she tried very hard, Sophie Aldred then, but it was it was the staging of that was tricky. But, but other things were better. Um, the direction much better than I remembered. The I, I didn't mind the old uh, the old. Uh, green worms uh, and I love Flight Lieutenant Lavelle um, now John chose the fact that the Brigadier was back in it and he did mention his uh, encompassing his joy that the Brigadier was back his rapport with Lavelle so does that mean I'm not allowed that um no, I think I am allowed that because his his thing was the fact that the brigadier's in it and the brigadier back being back and Nicholas Courtney being brutal. I I I would like to highlight, um, but that means he's not going to choose it for this, and I'm going to try and because uh, I've got to try and oh stop, I've got to try and guess. Of course, remind myself of the rules of my own podcast. I've got to try and guess what. Uh, John will guess and he's not going to he's not going to say he's not going to choose Lavelle and the Brigadier because that's already part of his answer so left to my own devices I'd have chosen Lavelle and the Brigadier uh, and her only when I'm drunk I like that um, and actually that's all I've written down but uh, in saying that out loud I realise I've got to I've got to choose something else because um, because that's that's not going to work. Uh, okay, so I'm going to choose. It's just a shot. There's lots of lovely bits in that. I'm not struggling, but I really like that bit where the doctor's in focus, and then Antonin comes up behind him and goes, "She is coming." The doctor goes out of focus, and it throws focus onto Antonin. Not only because it's a neat shot, but it's actually what it does is it 
war, it really it really sells the impact of of what's happening and it's the delivery of the line and everything as well. So that that bit, I bet he hasn't chosen that, but um, it's because I'd because I'd given my heart to Flight Lieutenant Lavelle, and it's just and then I realised it had or she was already cheating on me uh, with John. So what has John chosen for episode uh, two? So my second choice of something that I love about Battlefield is another character, but this time it is a new character, and it is Peter Wormsley, the archaeologist, oh. as played rather marvellously by James Ellis. James Ellis. Um, I think he's the perfect picture of that slightly irritable, obsessive, eccentric, um, and you can tell that James Ellis is, you know, he's a proper character actor. And he gives a very nice, nuanced performance, even though he's not given that much to do. Um, the highlight for me is when he's stalling Brigadier Bambera by quoting Tennyson at her, which I think that's a tactic we can all learn from. Um, I think it's a shame that he only really gets to appear in a couple of episodes before he's dispatched by unit, um, evacuated. But I'd like to think that in some alternate universe, Big Finish made a series of uh, Peter Wormsley audio dramas where he gets up to all kinds of archaeological escapades. I'd listen to them. Oh, now you see, I nearly chose the bit where he lectures them in archaeology. Why didn't I choose that? Why didn't I choose quite a big bit instead of one shot? I'm useless at this. I, I As soon as I choose what I choose and then hear from somebody else, I... I regret it. Life is full of regrets and I conjure my own new regrets on a daily basis. Isn't that life? Conjuring regrets. Which is why I'm trying to do a positive thing. And even that is causing me regrets. Oh, well, um, it's not important. And it's not, I'm pleased that J James Ellis got a mention because uh, he is lovely. He does do it well. He was known to us because he did uh, uh, a series called One by One, which was about a zoo vet that... Uh, he played an Irish uh, zookeeper called Paddy Riley, but I remember when he was in that, my mum go, "Oh well, it's James Ellis," because he was obviously he was in Z cars for years and years and years as Bert Lynch. Uh, it was famously quite often late for rehearsals. Uh, Jimmy Ellis when he was in Z cars. I should be doing all of this sort of stuff over the episode. Sorry. Um, so jo yeah, I've got no points. Um, <laughs> I hope there's not. I hope there's not some sort of fine at the end of this podcast because I've 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 set up a I've I've set up a format whereby it's virtually impossible for me to win, especially if I choose such stupid arbitrary things. Um, okay, well, uh, I'm going to watch the boys now. I'd forgotten it's I'm recording this on a Friday night uh, that that might be well be directed by the Night Commander who I've just seen in that. Uh, if he's directing this episode as well. Um, but, uh, uh, wow, talk about, you know, reaching for the stars. Good for him. Well, it's the first, it's the first cosplayed episode of Happy Times and Places. It's Battlefield, episode three. Press play now. <laughs> well, look, um... I, I realised, uh, sorry for those of you who are just listening, not watching, you can see this on the video at no extra cost. Um, I realised I'd got the Brigadiers um, 
cardigan uh, when, when, when I was watching episode one. So I've decided I've never done cosplay in my life, not my thing. I mean, I've got, got the hat and scarf, had the hat and scarf, but that's not quite the same. I never went for the whole thing and tried to get the right waistcoat or trousers or anything like the silhouette. But um, I've decided because it, was, it is within my means, uh, uh, I've got a solo moustache and I've got the Brigadier's, an approximation of the Brigadier's gardening outfit. And he gardens in a cravat. Gotta love that. Um, so this is a very special episode, Battlefield Episode 3 in cosplay. It, it's, it, it's funny, I was reading something about a Doctor Who fan with a big collection on, on, in a newspaper, on a newspaper website. And, the comments underneath somebody going oh virgin uh so unkind and um but but i you know i've i've never got cosplay it's not my thing i've quite enjoyed today i've been experimental with facial hair in lockdown anyway i had a handlebar moustache uh in an attempt to see what i'd look like if i was a you know season three guest star in prison break or something or or, or somebody who would um kidnap jack bauer about three quarters of the way into uh into, into a season of 24 um, uh, with a handlebar moustache but, I've, uh, but I've, I've quite enjoyed it and it's, it's funny why, why we would mock because uh, as I said I've never quite got cosplay but um, I think it's marvellous that, that it's anything that shows application, dedication, creativity anything that Doctor Who does that spawns that um, I think is to be applauded. Anything that stops us being passive viewers, with me it's finding out about actors and things like that and what went on behind the scenes. Other people it's creative expression through, you know, and, and, and honing a skill, you know, creating the costumes, um, making them, sourcing them. It's great. Anything that isn't passive, yet, yet people mock it, don't they? People's, and I think it's fear. People have a fear of people expressing creativity because I think deep down we'd all like to but we worry about the embarrassment um, I love this bit I love Julia and, and of course you could see the cracks in uh, slightly slowed down this isn't it but it's all right it's a great image Sophie Aldred is so game she she's always jumping in water and and when she does uh, uh, you know the things with explosions throws herself about I don't think we could have wished for a more uh, dedicated performer um, and, and, and again when you're doing something that re, you know often relies on the actors to have somebody that's prepared to do anything is, is great um, uh, but you could see and you could see the crack in the glass couldn't you and that was actually footage of her being rescued that they that they used in the footage of the uh, 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 of the actual episode. I like the way that Marcus Gilbert does that. There's this. Yeah, you're doing exactly what is required of you, you handsome devil. Um, and tape, well, I don't like that tape, tape one just because it's a pretty grotesque image. Uh, Sylvester McCoy also throws himself about uh, <laughs> and, and, and is again another very, very committed performer. And what a face. He looks like Doctor Who, doesn't he? He's got. It's that brilliant synthesis of um, a, the sort of the, the clown-like physiognomy, but also the a sort of bird-like sadness, a, mel a melancholy. There's, there's, he, although he's the most clownish of all the doctors, he's also at times the saddest looking, and it's a great combination. Um, and here they are, the brigadier and the doctor. 
Um, yeah, I, I, who I am, because but I've even, I've even. I wish he said them. I wish he pronounced Lethbridge. I'd say, I don't know. I wish he pronounced the name right. <laughs> he doesn't quite mispronounce it. He just doesn't do it very well. Uh, this is great. Um, June Bland does a very good job here. She's oh June Bland, by the way, is uh, her currently her grandson Jordan Brooks, who's a fantastic comedian, very interesting, very offbeat, plays with the rules, very funny. Is currently the longest holder of the Edinburgh Comedy Award because there hasn't been an Edinburgh festival this year. It's normally it's awarded every year. You don't hold it as it were. You just get it every year. But because there hasn't been an Edinburgh Fringe this year, he's he's the current holder for two years running, which has never happened before. Um, so it runs in the family, um, and he's definitely worth checking out. Jordan Brooks, fine comic. Seek out those old Excalibur, and then go and direct an episode of The Boys and all the other American shows that you do, you clever knight commander. He didn't, by the way, um, direct the episode of The Boys that uh, I watched after episode two. Um, yes, that's it, guys. March, but 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 in a way, suggests there's a camera there. I think that's fine. That does that doesn't look like bitter. It's the right colour. Not enough head. Um, I like these two characters. They they bring a welcome sort of realism. Pat. Pat and his wife. <laughs> and I like his joke. Yeah. You ugly git. <laughs> so Mordred's drunk. And laughing at his own joke. Oh, Novelle. Who? Of course, I hadn't realised is is French, but director is Serbian, I think. Um, and I remember when I interviewed her, she said, "Of course, I put on the French accent." And I said, well, "Did you? Oh, okay." It never occurred to me that Lavelle was French, but of course she is. But uh, I think I think the accent just goes under standard foreign, doesn't it? Which was which was allowable in those days. Like nowadays you'd get a French actor, interesting, um, probably. Our, our, our casting of uh, international actors has become a lot easier as, as actors travel. Um, Doctor Who's had, you know, Americans in it and, you know, now if we need... Although she ended up being based in, in Australia, Dorota Ray. I'm sad about Lavelle, but this is very clever, complex stuff because they need the information so you know she's a soldier she's expendable and they sort of get it in a painless way but they also and she does that good joke about you can get the tab if you like so it comes from her um but they also and she treats her with sort of great dignity which is which is rather touching uh and of course the the Ronin seems absolutely appalled because somebody's just been murdered in their pub. Uh, and uh, and so we have this rather sick joke that she says, you know, he says you can't leave it like that because it's it's unpleasant and uncivilised. So she turns her into a, hoover, a, 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 a hooverable package, um, and they get and she she gets the tab by returning her sight to her, which is very interesting. Um, 
because it shows a different sort of moral code. We've just seen this couple kill people, um, but then yeah, deliver somebody her sight back. Um, although that's quite a complex issue that I'm not going to get into now. I say, oh yes, I'd like to, because um, because the idea that uh, uh, somebody who's disabled considers that they are missing something because they don't have something that a non-disabled person would have is quite a complex and grey area, as are most things with nuance, which is lost from a lot of today's discourse, which is why I'd like to actually rescind my statement from a previous episode where I said um, I'm not particularly woke. I think I am quite woke. I, I agree with all the things that woke people agree with. I'm the, the very embodiment of a, a weedy liberal, but... Um, I'm concerned. I, I I I worry about how the liberal cause is actually harmed by um, the conduct and lack of nuance of some of the most self-proclaimed of the woke brigade. So I will say I I I am woke, but 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 in but I'm woke in a cardigan, shall we say? Ha 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 ha! But I just hope everybody's happy, and I don't want to rap. And also, I respect that other people have come to different conclusions from me about how to wake the world better, and I don't necessarily think they're evil. Uh, that's quite old-fashioned these days. But I'm eating a naked bar, so... It's a good sequence. Um, although, <laughs> it's quite tastefully done, because... There's a bit of... Um, machine and gunning to death that goes on shortly um there's great uh, great oh yes great blowing out the back of the out the back window now i've got to remember to to uh, to write down so i don't pick something rubbish uh, i i like the i like the the paying of the tab i think that's very good uh, and even Lavelle, only in her one scene this week, uh, did a, did a really good job. But I can't really choose her, I don't think, because because she was part of what John chose in an earlier episode. Um, yeah, this is this is pretty. This is pretty grim. This bit, of, although it's sort of comedy banter, she does. When she sticks her head up through the through the roof, um, we don't see what's on the other end of her machine gun. But it's it's, it's but I she she I like Brigadier Bambera. She's a great character, um, and she plays it very. And I like I do like her rapport with. Uh, I like, oh, and of course the, we can see the Doctor's leg sticking out the car window, <laughs> which is terrific. Um, yeah, tell them they're in trouble. Yeah, so because of course, Chris Sylvester is so sort of good. I wish these guns were level. Um, if you had time to do that again, you would. Um, oh, yeah, no, not very well observed. This, yeah, that's a bit like the bus in Delta and the Bannermen, where um, I, you don't quite get the impression of an explosion. I, and I'm not, I'm not. I'm, I don't really like the Brigadier's reaction here, but I suppose he is a soldier, uh, and that's what we're supposed 
supposed to think. But, uh, oh, hello, Xiao Yong. I still don't know what you're... Because Xiao Yong, of course, Ling Tai plays Xiao Yong, was an extra in Warriors of the Deep. Um, she's one of the sea base crew. Um, uh, and again, I, we like the Rollinsons here, but but then we get the impression that Pat going, oh, you, you're not English, are you? You go, oh, you're a nice, friendly landlord, but actually you're probably a bit of a racist, which, <laughs> which uh, is, again, just a nice, because you can get very nice, polite people who turn out to be, have slightly dodgy attitudes. Um, it's what my, uh, Doctor, I mean, I, I'm not a great fan of the uh, the umbrella, but stopping the major saluting um, by hook, hooking it down uh, is a lovely bit of Doctor business. It's a shame that um, Peter Wormsley uh, is, is going to go now, uh, because I expected James Ellis to at least last the four episodes, but uh, his job is done, which is a... So, and then he worked with me shortly after this, which, which I'm, I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure was uh, uh, a great compensation for not making it to episode four. Um, uh, and he was, he was a lovely guy. Do you, I, remember, I remember there was a, what can only be described as a media word beginning with W and rhyming, rhyming with tanker. Um, and uh, Major Husak, nice bit of business there. Um, sadly, that actor Paul Tomani, who played Major Husak, was, um, was 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 dead within about five years. I think he died three or four years after this, at the age of mid thirties, which is tragic. Uh, I know nothing more about how or why. Um, um, but yeah, and 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 anyway, there was some. Got the, there were a few of them then. There are lots of them now. People who in the <laughs> who have who carry about them a lot of confidence, which is in d direct uh, 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 direct inverse ratio between how much y y use they are and likable and what they bring to the table. There's a, you 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 encounter more of them these days. And I don't know what this guy was doing there. This besuited sunglassed moron. Uh, and and anyway, he d he didn't. Uh, 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 He'd annoyed everybody, I think, and and when the cast all got together in the afternoon, I, I was struggling to get a t ticket for my sister, and uh, Jimmy basically went, I don't know why we're spending all our time, you know, why, what, what we're having to do for this, this guy. He didn't say it when the guy was there. He said, and this young lad can't even get a ticket for his sister, so can we sort our priorities out? And he, he was basically, as the leading man, um, cutting through a lot of the crap and also sticking up for me, in a, in a in a slightly related but aspect of you know what the production's priorities were, um, which he needn't have done, and he didn't do it in a in a in a bullish way either. But he he just made sure it happened. Proper leading man, good for him, good for Jimmy, uh, nice fella, a, a, a real twinkle. Came round to our house and and. and uh, used the phrase confirmed bachelor about somebody with a twinkle in his eye, which I always remembered. Very lovely. Oh, he was a confirmed bachelor. Is that, that this fellow? I can't remember the circumstances. Good sword fighting. I do like a sword fight. It's Alf Joint who did the fights, didn't he? Uh, oh, there's a fly on top of her head there. <laughs> Good old Anselin. Uh, 
you wish to run away? <laughs> um, yes, I'm thoroughly. Yes, I'm liking this. I'm liking this. Uh, this art thou betrothed. <laughs> um, I mean, Doc, Doctor Who was was not was not popular at this time, so I always got got annoyed with it when it did things I thought could could turn off the general public, whoever they were. But it didn't feel like it was a show that was watched by the general public at the time. Um, and indeed, of course, this is the last the last season. Uh, so I could never quite relax and take it on its own terms. I mean, I still think there are mistakes. I think the, the question marks all over the place. It's been said before about how, you know, you, you know, you, you can't show how enigmatic you are by e emphasizing your enigmatic nature. It's like you, you, you can't, you know, eccentricity should be, should be organic rather than, you know, grafted on or, or draw attention to itself. Um, and this was, that, that, that bit was on the trailer. Do, do I like that? I didn't like it as a kid. Do I like it now? I don't mind it. It's fine. I have no opinion. Um, oh, I love oh I love her crystal ball because she makes it fly away, doesn't she, at one point? Uh, which is very niftily and simply done. Um, yeah, she can, she can zing it out way now. Um, but yeah, Shao Young doesn't do much apart from have someone for Ace to get nearly racist at uh, uh, when they're when they're stuck in a circle. Um, but again, in terms of representation, um, in 1989, I think this has laudable intent. Uh, and, um, and I know stuff, I know accusations are, are thrown around about, um, you know, people being tokenistic or whatever. Um, I think if you see somebody with a different skin colour from you uh, as a token, uh, then I think that's the reason that we need more faces uh, and representation of colour on the screen because uh, if it's still seen as abnormal to you, uh, then you're not, then that's, that's the issue that needs redressing. Uh, and I'd say the same about disability, in fact, more so. Representation of disability is terrifyingly bad. In the arts, actually, it has a lower representation than in most other workplaces, which is extraordinary, seeing as the arts are supposed to be so progressive. And it's interesting how often some of the most progressive people have a, an ironically blind spot when it comes to disability. Um, they'll uh, be furious about representation uh, of uh, ethnicity or, or in other areas and, and not be so worried about disability. Anyway, that's just something because it's close to home for me. Um, they're horrible to each other, these two, in, in their circle. It's very simple, isn't it? Very simple effect. Um, uh, uh, it sort of comes out of nowhere 
um, the, the, the fact that these two start rowing with each other, but it's, it's doing a very good thing. It's, it's showing that, you know, they're under psychological pressure and having games played with them and of course being tried to, you know, if they go out of the circle, they're, they're in trouble. So, you know, that hug is lovely and, and, the, and the fact that they realise that there's a certain sort of manipulation going on and they have to, they have to be kind to each other. Yes. Um, and I, oh yes, a bit of an explosion like that. It's a shame it cuts when the guys actually got back up again. <laughs> That's, um, but there is a guy who flies through the air, isn't there? But, uh, uh, yeah, I, now I think bazookering a guard because while well, he's fighting one of your own guys is a, it's a bit friendly fire there. Um, Yeah, but that's that's a very decent battle scene and all this smoke and Mordred. Oh yeah. These two look great. I th I thought Christopher Bowes. <laughs> I can't mean, I laughed enough. Um, but they look they look great these two. And and you know, t knights fighting in front of a crashed nuclear missile convoy is great stuff yeah oh i like i i like bit where you hold the sword in front of you no yeah this is this is the doctor will be yeah well he's given it his his best shot um, <laughs> i was quite 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 yelled and furious the destroyer oh you've got to love the destroyer and I don't think we'd seen, no, I don't think we'd seen pictures of the destroyer. So we didn't know what, what he was going to look like. Um, I love all this, this dark lighting is great. This is really spooky. That's a great shot of Ace and Xiao Young in the, in the moonlight and, and, and more game over them. This is quite spooky. Which is which is a hard to do, aren't they? Because they become almost a, a sort of cliche. Um, to the destroyer, but she looks great. She's got a great face, Jean Marsh. Uh, and the, look at that's a great mask. And, and uh, you know, the colour for monsters is now blue, not green. Um, uh, and all the better for it. I think it would have been so easy to make him. A green dragon and a blue dragon just makes him seem uh, a little bit different. Right. What did I like best in that? I think it's going to be. I've written it down. I think it's. Oh, yeah. Oh, Peter Wormsley as well. There's an actor called Peter Wormsley in Mordred Undead who plays one of the two mutants. Uh, so I wonder if. I wonder if there's a. Oh, Lavelle's not. She's really low on the credits. That's not fair. Um, uh, so I wonder if if uh, if that's a coincidence or whether he was a mate of John Nathan Turner or something. Because uh, I don't think he was called Peter Wormsley in the original draft. I think he was called Warmington. Might be wrong. Anyway, I noticed the similarity. So, what's my friend John going to choose? Well, let's uh, let's press pause. 
and see if he has chosen. I'm choosing the paying of the tab. I'm just, that, that whole pub scene, the the Lavelle, because I, I like to give Lavelle a bit of a, a credit, her, her saying get the tab and that then feeding into the, you know, her, her treatment at the hands of Morgan and then the paying of the tab and the tab being arrived. So that whole, that whole pub scene, even though I'm annoyed that Lavelle died and slightly sad um, and I didn't like her being turned into Hoover fodder. Right. My third choice of something I love about Battlefield is uh, its use of Arthurian mythology, which I think it's quite surprising that Doctor Who had been going, what, 26 years at this point and hadn't, hadn't really explored that at all, um, considering it's such a key part of British mythology. Um, and I guess some people would argue that this is not the best, <laughs> best vehicle for it. But I I really like how it's worked in. Um, I love the use of characters, obviously Mordred and Morgane, um, both excellently uh, played. Um, I I really like the idea that the Doctor might be Merlin in some alternate future past. Uh, I like I like when Doctor Who just sort of hints at things or suggests things, but we never we never hear from it again. Like it's just. Uh, this, this might be a thing, so uh, feel free to use your imagination. Uh, I think that always works really well. Um, and I, I also like it when the show does sort of play with ideas of mythology and folklore and works them into a sci-fi setting. Yeah, it's great. And obviously a ace emerging from the lake holding a sword. I think that's that's an iconic Doctor Who moment, right? And a lovely uh, nod to Arthurian myth. And we also get little snatches of Mallory and Tennyson, as previously mentioned, which uh, which I love. Thanks, John. Good point. Good point. Well, uh, we didn't choose the same thing, um, but that's okay. Um, so. I was going to stay up and watch the next episode, but I think this is going to be the lone, cos for now, cosplayed uh, episode of Happy Times and Places. Battlefield, part four, press play. Uh, then... <laughs> Uh, I'd go back, but it's pointless because there seems to be a different gap every time. Now, this is a challenge, everybody, more than usual. I'd be quite enjoying Battlefield. Odd, I hated it when I was younger. Um, I think there's a lesson there. Um, the distance. You see, in the present, when Battlefield was on, uh, Doctor Who was hanging by a thread. Anything that happened could potentially spell the end of the show that I loved and my lifeline. Uh, it was it was what I held on to to negotiate my difficult teenage years so that I could emerge from them and become an adult when everything became sorted. <laughs> and now it's midnight. I can't sleep. I'm in lockdown. Um, looks like we're going to have another six months of lockdown. I'm largely unemployable. Uh, interesting. I've had a very, very uh, interesting few days having a back and forth with a... a 
a director I hugely admire, nothing to do with Doctor Who, and texting my son and feeling like part of, you know, something part of something, but it's it's not going to lead to any work. It's not it's not actually about any of the stuff I do, you know, that I consider my living. But I do sort of think, ah, oh, yeah, but at least you know I can say, you know, oh yeah, I, I know that person, or I've I've had done a thing. It's, it's just like I'm I'm accruing and increasingly. Um, uh, a poor currency for, for what, 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 what will I look back on my life and it'll just be a series of encounters and anecdotes um, and that's not entirely unrelated to this because this is Nicholas Courtney's last uh, appearance in Doctor Who and he was the Brigadier was very much my favourite character uh, and, and favourite companion so I was always delighted when he came back and I you know I, I did encounter him at uh, at conventions and at commentaries and ended up living not far from him. In fact, when uh, I went to his funeral, the the post-funeral hospitality was done at a Nick's favourite Chinese restaurant, which was literally three minutes from, from where I lived. I'd had a chance to go for drinks with him a few times in, in Crouch End, but I was working a lot and commuting from Manchester to London and doing all of those things. And you think now, oh, that I've given up a gig for a... Evening in a pub with the brig. There he is. Try me. See, we have to forget. This is what this story does very well. And I don't like it, but it's probably right that I shouldn't like it. Is that the, the, the brigadier is steeped in blood. He is, he is a convenience for the doctor. I've done Day of the Daleks for this. And I, I really don't like the bit where the doctor kills the ogrons. Um, but of course, the brigadier comes and machine guns the one that the doctor doesn't kill. Uh, and, the, and, and as somebody of slightly peacenicky liberal morality, you know, I, I do understand the sort of hypocrisy of going, yes, the doctor, the doctor shouldn't take a life. He's got these guys, though, who can kill whoever they like because the adventure requires lots of the bad guys to get killed as long as the doctor doesn't get his hands dirty. And that is a that is a paradox at the core of the show or at the core of the liberal reading of the show, which is why I'm always quite interested when conservative commentators talk about Doctor Who because they've equally got a point. It's interesting. Good explosion here. Good stunt there. Yeah. Um, actually, the the fight scenes aren't, aren't bad here at all. And I... I do like the sword fighting amidst the, uh, uh, you know, the military khaki um, uh, uh, and, you know, traditional sort of gun battles. <laughs> I'm getting fed up of hearing about your mother. Mm. Glorious. Um, you know, it's interesting because obviously this is steeped in Arthurian legend and I, I, I'd sort of seen... You know, I'd, I'd read bits about the nine ta nine round table. We used to go on holiday to Cornwall and uh, I'd seen um, Excalibur. Um, but obviously, oh, I love, the, I think that's great. That's such a, a casually uh, uh, included effect, deployed effect. It's a it's an effect that, you know, just... Whoosh, uh, it's it's uh, the, the, I'm talking about the, uh, the crystal ball that uh, Morgane sort of dismisses and, and flies away. Um, and what's quite nice is having these, you know, villains from from sort of folklore. Is that relatively simple things like a chalk circle is is really powerful against them in the way that a, a helicopter or whatever isn't. And I quite like that that uh, that sort of ancient simplicity sometimes wins out over modern technology. The destroyer, 
I love the Destroyer. What a terrific mask. Um, Marek Anton, who, of course, um, uh, and my friend at school, Anton Collins, was uh, was very pleased with the fact that Marek Anton, uh, there's an actor called Marek Anton, who is, of course, also in The Curse of Fenric. He plays Vershinin, one of the Russian soldiers named after characters from Chekhov. Uh, and uh, he's quite a handsome boy, um, but he's great. And and there's real character to uh, to the Destroyer. And that mask is so good. Uh, I like the blue, I like the hair. So, oh, yes, and Jean Marsh. Uh, I've had the pleasure of interviewing her as well. She was good fun. Um, but yes, I, I sometimes... You know, when doing these, as I said, I was sort of texting this very, very famous film director this week um, because of uh, something I don't really consider part of my job. Um, uh, and and it was exciting, but it was... Uh, I, I think because I was brought up in the countryside in the middle of nowhere, as I watched this, you know, in the middle of nowhere, the, 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 the idea that any person could be a conduit to the sort of starlight... I'm afraid I think that that is a contender for the... I'm sorry, Doctor, for the worst delivered line of any Doctor. Uh, yeah, that's okay. Um, there's there's plenty to love about Sylvester McCoy, but that line isn't one of them. Um, but yes, the, it, yeah, as I say, being in the... in the As I think we all do, you know, we watch... The, this, to me, was a, is, is a conduit to starlight, you know, that all these people... Were living the life and uh, the world that they inhabited, which seemed so far away from mine, seemed like a magical one where it was all anecdotes and um, being a motley crew and being creative and you know that must be the life. Um, and a, it's the pot of it was the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, but and and that's why I think you know when when Doctor Who lets us down or whatever, we get rather furious. But as I've got older, I realise there is there is there there is no pot of gold, and the rainbow keeps um, uh, re reforming further in the distance, um, and that uh, one is a fool to think one will ever spend that currency, and one should. And I've I think I've already chosen my best bit from this episode because there's a philosophy within it, which. Um, in this night where I cannot sleep and I, I'm unemployed and <laughs> all of these things, it's what it's what we keep coming back to. And look, he's a small part actor. I don't think he's had a line this episode. Gets the, that's the only time we see his face. He's now an internationally successful film director because you keep going and you do the best you can. Um, and... And I was I was actually saving this one up to do when I'd, I I think I was a bit more because because some of these stories you know somebody will, will suggest them and I'll just dive in and I think I should actually have a think about them so that I can place in my head um, some things I know that I can sort of pepper through so that they'll be interesting. Um, but what you've done is um, you're at my house and we've woken up in the middle of the night. Neither of us can sleep. I've made some Horlicks. It's, it's metaphorical Horlicks because it's tea, but Horlicks just seems more appropriate. And we're sitting on the sofa and I'm bending your ear. You've probably got a bottle of wine. I'm, I can't have one. So I'm, I, I'll forgive myself for <laughs> dribbling on in. I'm a vision in Canary, by the way, for those of you um, that aren't uh, 
doing the YouTube version of this, but are doing the podcast. I have Canary Kachif on. Um, oh, she's so... I, I love it. She, I do feel sorry for Xiao Young, but interesting, there's been a there's been a survey today about saying that actually Bayon performers are on screen to a higher percentage than they're represented in the makeup of the country, but actually are represented much lower in behind the scenes and executive levels. And I think, and I think that's fine. I think you have to reset the balance. And if it means we get we get uh, currently getting more reputation uh, representation, it it is about time. And I speak as somebody that's occasionally lost a part because um, they've 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 looked at the, and this has been told to me a couple of times. Um, uh, you know the the makeup of the cast and realise that it's all it's all a bit the same and uh, so they've um, so of course they never recast the lead they always get rid of something <laughs> Johnny No Bollocks a bit further down the credits um, and if and if that is something that means that we have a, a more progressive and reflective and and can encourage people from those um, sectors that might not feel encouraged into the arts that is an important thing so when we look back in twenty years. And things have sort of. Oh, and he was so. Uh, I knew they hadn't. I knew they hadn't killed him. It was too, it was too too anticlimactic a way to kill him here, because of course we were worried that uh, that this was the last. That's a great stunt. The last we were going to see of the brig, but that wouldn't be his death scene. But I was in tenterhooks for the whole of this. But um, and and. And I think the reason I'm slightly, I'm not obsessed, but it's worth talking about, is that I've listened to a few podcasts recently where, you know, people have said, oh, in, in The Bodyguard, the Jed Mercurio series, there was a, a Chinese bomb disposal expert and one of the senior police uh, officers was a black woman and, oh, it took me out of the drama. Well, wh why did it take you out of the drama? It didn't, uh, and, I'm not, and I'm not Mr. As I say, I'm not Mr. I'm sometimes quite cynical about, certainly in comedy, where you see somebody who's been going five minutes get a job that you know veterans of, of 20 years of great skill and experience don't get near um and it's not always to do with you know comedic skills so i you know i, I can be cynical about it um but what when when somebody's just sort of when a when a part as i say a bomb disposal expert or in 1917 a, a sikh soldier the worst sikh soldiers not that many but it doesn't matter I, I, it, it's bizarre. I'm not, as I say, I'm not Mr. Woolly Liberal, but it, it's never taken me out of a drama. I've never thought, why is that person black? I think that's a really peculiar thing. And, and, and if it is peculiar to people, if it is not the norm, then the reason it is being done is so that in 20 years it is the norm. And we all wonder what, what we were so preoccupied and obsessed about. I think it's a bit of a hobby horse with me with this one because I think I've tied myself in knots trying to say the right thing which is also a part of the problem with the discourse is that you get a bit mealy mouthed because you can get attacked from both sides and that doesn't help discourse either um i love the bit where the, the the destroyer breaks open his chains although he does tear some of his own chest hair which is gonna smart um i do like the the relationship with morgan and uh, and her son you, you you sort of believe they have a life outside the drama um ace is one of the bravest companions as well all the companions but but the, the, the gung-ho nature of ace is 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 very very likable um and you know that it's sort of matched by the performer because she's a gutsy performer uh 
I like her outfit too. Uh, is that a conveniently placed bit of corrugated? Oh, is this? He does that brilliant bit, doesn't he? Where he goes, is that a spaceship? <laughs> I sometimes do that in everyday life. If I'm trying to distract somebody, it's never worked, but it amuses me. It's usually a futile effort. I love that. I, I was so, I was so terrified uh, that uh, the brigadier was going to die. I've just remembered. Uh, my friend from school came to watch this with me. I would get girls back. <laughs> go, and we we're going to watch Doctor Who. Uh, my friend from school, Catherine, uh, came and watched this episode at my house in Shropshire. I had totally forgotten about that. And I think I was harbouring the idea of doing a remake. Every time there's a Doctor episode on, I wanted to make my own version of it as a film. And I'd type up the scripts. I never actually finished it. And she would have played Morgaine because she's very good at striking women parts. Many years later, I ended up marrying her. Ha! Ha! Not married anymore, but uh, still a nice story. Uh, and how funny that that has just, just occurred to me. It's a funny old night tonight. I'm having a funny old night, everybody. Going down memory lane, it can be quite emotional. So I'm glad you're here. I bet you're not. <laughs> I don't know what this podcast is, but I like to think you're with me, even though I can't hear anything you're saying. Well done, the Brigadier. But yes, I just do the best I can. I just try to do the best I can. That I mean, I know already that's going to be the thing I choose for this episode. Because it's weird. I've I've read a lot of the great literature. Uh, I know it speaks to so many things at so many levels. I've seen many of the great movies. I've struggled to get through some of them. And many have left because this is what speaks to me. This is where I get my philosophy. This is where I get my emotion. This is what stirs my nostalgia. I'd love it if I was able to sit and quote Eisenstein movies or... Uh, you know, Hardy and Dickens, uh, which, you know, I can sort of vaguely nudge my way through. But no, whatever for whatever reason, and I'm not a simpleton, <laughs> but for whatever reason, this is what speaks to me. This is what floats my boat. This is what, I hate the phrase, takes me to my happy place because it's... Um, because it's just horrible. Um, but um, for, for whatever reason, it's this show that, that I will sometimes wax lyrical about, but, you know, it's, it's, its main job and it is at its best is when it is purely entertaining. If, if it's got subtext, that's great. If it's trying to make a point, that's great. But if it needs to be exciting and funny. That's what it needs to be. And if it's not those things, it's not Doctor Who. If it's if it's not those things, it's or it's bad Doctor Who. Um, all the other stuff is gravy, great, but 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 because it's so entrenched in our childhoods, this one in in my teenagehood, and as I say, it's unlocked a memory I had forgotten was there, and it. And it, and it actually keeps in touch with our emotions. I, I, I don't drink anymore. And I, I think one of the reasons drinkers drink is to perhaps get in touch with emotions, access emotions that you struggle to actually access. 
And those, when you access those emotions through drink, you articulate things you may be denying yourself or keeping inside. Um, because this is so tied up in my life, it's peculiar. This is what does that now, because I can't get drink and sit maudlin on the sofa and wax lyrical. So instead, I watched something that I, I watched as a child. I was furious with as a child. There's so many things I didn't like about Doctor Who because I was worried that it would be taken away from me. Although I spent so much time being furious about it, I think I forgot to enjoy it. There's a lesson there too, which as a 46-year-old man, you realise that um, you should try and enjoy as much of life as you can because it starts to fly by, especially in this uh, quarantine where... <laughs> I'm currently talking in October and last time I looked it was March. Uh, that's great. <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's a bit silly, but it's it's very Doctor Who. It's very Doctor Who. Uh, and Sylvester's great at those sorts of moments. And this, this is a terrific scene um, coming up. Uh, and, and unusual. Um, you know, we don't... Uh, I talked before about... You know, the brigadier and unit being useful for killing the bad guys that the doctor isn't prepared to kill. Well, here's one of those those rare moments where, you know, the, the villain, the villainess and her sidekick, in this case her son, aren't killed. Um, it does leave the question of what the hell, hell do you do with a, a witch? I mean, what is she in Wormwood Scrubs? Uh and, 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 you know, Andrew Cartmel's thing about bringing down the government I, <laughs> is the script editor wanting to, the, the show to, um, you know, tackle the issues of the day, I think is laudable. And I don't think it's, it's too heavy handed. Um, there are occasional bits that are, that are quite naive sometimes, I think, in the odd bit of dialogue here. Not in this story, I'm... Um, but that's being very that's being very picky. I think the, the 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 idea behind it and the way it is generally deployed is 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 great. And remember, and, and as a as a however old I was, fifteen year old, the idea that you know Doctor was taking on you know ideas of nuclear disarmament and talking about those things, it, it made me feel inspired. It made me feel that some something was on my side. My show was talking to me. Um, and of course, that there is the alternative reading is of, of, of Doctor Who is that is that you know Doctor Who sees what is bad and he stamps it out. So uh, it is multi-layered textually, but it's mostly about explosions and aliens. <laughs> but I can't just keep saying I like that explosion and that alien because this would get tedious fairly quickly if it hasn't already. And if it has, I'm very sorry. Um, she's she does this really well. Um, it's actually terribly moving. And again, the idea that, you know, arch enemies can have a, a sort of connection uh, is, is, you know, is, is very real. Um, but yeah, it's also typical, isn't it? Yeah, the, you, you, two, you two lovers, you get, you get on while, while it's, it's, it's your troops to everybody who, who die for your, for your honour and all of that sort of thing. Whilst uh, you know you all meet on up at the UN summit and shake hands, uh, <laughs> uh, so uh, the 
whatever the doctor does here is uh, never quite explained but i i'm i don't really mind it's 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 like the venusian karate aikido but slightly more mystical uh anything to anything to dilute those question marks with a bit of mystery um and I'm glad Anselin didn't die, and uh, I'm I'm assuming him and Bamberi get to. Does, I mean, does he? I suppose he he stays. Does he? Um, he's gonna have to. He's gonna have to ditch the sword. That's a lawn to mow. Um, I'm, we're at the brigadier's house now. Have I have I got have I got those clothes? I've I've got a shirt a bit like that. Uh, I am yeah, sure I had more cravats, but I'm, I can't seem to find them. Um, I said, didn't I say in episode one? I wasn't sure I'd known who Angela Douglas was, but of course I knew who she was because of who she was in the carry-ons. I think I just hadn't put two and two together. Um, nice that uh, she's not she's not what I imagined when I imagined Doris. I imagined somebody a bit more earthy. I think I just judged by the name Doris. I hadn't uh, associated with with somebody quite so well-to-do. Uh, I, th I thought perhaps the brigadier had more earthy tastes. Um, I do like his house, though. Um, so yeah, we've got a bit of it. We've got a bit of a jolly carry-on ending, and and yes, <laughs> locking up of Morgane and Mordred is a thing. Uh, and the uh, and the incidental music goes full sitcom, doesn't it? Um, I really enjoyed that. It was a story that I was not particularly fond of. I would say my least favourite of uh, of that season when it was broadcast. Uh, I, I can't see me liking uh, any of the subsequent stories from this season any less when I do them for this project. So that uh, that stands this the the last the latter period of uh, classic Who in good stead. Uh, uh, Gosh, I didn't half bang on, and not necessarily about what was on screen uh, there. But is that's what Doctor Who does, I think. And um, you know, I, I can only spend so many times going. That's an excellent set. I like his performance. Uh, so today it was opening up of unsuspected memories, uh, and I thought that was great. Um, isn't it interesting when the future of the show doesn't rely on what you're watching, you're much more forgiving of it. When something is an historical exhibit, you can just you can enjoy it without any threat whatsoever. Uh, so I think that's a lesson to when when one isn't enjoying Doctor Who. Ah, you know, and you, I see the fury. I see the fury of people who, for whom Doctor Who is not what they want it to be at the moment. And I and I th and I think there's always I always enjoy Doctor Who much more in retrospect because I still have that thing of worrying about what the general public will think, <laughs> uh, or of what the BBC will think, or what the press will think, rather than just going, why don't I just enjoy it? You know, why don't I just an instant? Uh, yeah, yeah, in enjoy the present for what it is. What's John? So now I've realised I've been doing this slightly wrong because uh, they get to choose two things for the last episode. One for the last episode and one bonus. But uh, for one of the recent ones I did, I chose two things in the last episode. I don't think I should. 
I think I still get to choose one, but what, what my guest gets to do is they get to choose their one, and then they have a bonus one, which gives us a little more insight into what they like and their thoughts, but also it gives them a chance to wipe out one of the ones I've already chosen. So I'm only choosing one thing, and that is the Brigadier saying, uh, I just try to do the best I can because I think that's a great philosophy. Uh, it really chimes with me at the moment as... Uh, uh, a self-employed person in a type of in a time of coronavirus in the same boat as a lot of other people and we see and i see you know people are at each other's throats people are uncertain what's happening um there's conflicting advice coming from the government the art sector is really struggling all we can do is try to do the best that we can uh and uh, and you know if in doubt shoot the blue guy <laughs> So what's John chosen as his thing for episode four? Fourth choice is one that I think might divide the room and it is the incidental music and just the, the sound design and editing in general on Battlefield, which I think is great. Um, obviously the score is by Kath McCulloch um, and it comes in for a lot of flack. Uh, the main criticism leveled at it seems to be that it sounds very 80s, but I think that's why I love it. Like, I'm watching a show made in the 80s, I want it to sound like the 80s. Um, but I, I think I think the score, like, sure, maybe elements of it detract from the action, but I, I think in general it really works. Um, it can be quite playful at times when the script calls for it, and it can also be quite dark, so we get a lot of those sort of... Uh, strange synthy string sounds um like we see in milk silver nemesis as well um yeah i love it and the way that uh, the score quite often bleeds into the sound effects um so like with the sword and uh like when the destroyer comes along and stuff uh, i really like that i think i could hum most of the score of battlefield uh to you i won't um, yeah, I think it's, it's very ingrained in my head, possibly more so than the incentive music from any other Doctor Who story. Ah, uh, that's interesting. I like the incentive, and, and Kath McCulloch stuff does come in for a lot of stick. It's interesting, yes, that, that, that criticism, oh, it sounds very 80s. Well, that's because it was made in the 80s. Um, it's, it's, it's like when programmes now have things in front of them going, this, uh, just to warn viewers, this displays attitudes that were prevalent at the time. Well, yeah, that's because it was made then. Uh, <laughs> this, is, this has failed to see what the social mores and uh, accepted phraseology of the future would be. Um, <laughs> Might as well say, this, this house is full of VHS tapes, which aren't playable these days. Um, now, I can confidently guess, though, that his favourite thing, number five, um, is... is not going to be Xiao Yong. Poor old Xiao Yong. She's never going to be on anybody's favourite list. But what could it be? Uh, I've no idea. But that's I'm going to put good money on that just because. My final choice of a favourite thing. And like I said earlier, it has been hard because I love lots of things. And I feel bad missing some of them out. But I've chosen, I mean, I guess the location filming uh, location scouting uh, in Battlefield I think is top notch um, I think I'm quite old school in that I think Doctor Who often works best when it is uh, 
jaunting around the English countryside in a very uh, Pertwee era fashion. Um, and I think Battlefield does a great job of this. Um, I guess it's, it partly plays to my prejudices as well as someone who grew up in the countryside. Um, just seeing that reflected in my favourite TV show. Um, but yeah, Battlefield has loads of really nice looking locations. Like it's very green, um, which obviously suits this sort of pastoral Arthurian story that's going on. Um, uh, so like the Gorker Hotel, great building, um, that strange sort of ruined castle folly thing that Morgane sets up shop in, that's, that's a great, excellent building. Um, the Vortigan's Lake, like, get some lovely shots of that, um, and also uh, lots of little drive down country, uh, country lanes. Um, I mean, accompanied by some terrible special effects, but, you know, can't have everything. Uh, so yeah, that's that's my final choice, and I think we're done. Boom! Uh, I've been John Turner. Uh, you can find me online if you want to. <laughs> um, I'm thisisjohnturner.com, uh, John without an H, uh, in the Pertwee fashion, um, and this is John Turner on Instagram as well. Uh, thanks everyone. Thanks Toby. I'm really looking forward to hearing what you uh, enjoyed about Battlefield. Oh, John is a lovely, lovely guy and he's a very talented artist. And the reason I was looking around uh, for those of you on the video at the point is because every time I've done an episode of Battlefield, I've had a piece of John's artwork by me so that at the end I can show it to you. And I thought, well, I'll, I'll wait till episode four. And of course I've done episode four. Where the hell have I put it? So hang on, because I can edit. This isn't the one I. This isn't the one I had out. This isn't the one I had out. This is another one I've gone to get because the one I had out is is somewhere. But it's um, it's it's it's. I bought a bulk of these for John uh, a doctor ago because for those who are on the podcast who can't see this, it's a it's a card, blank inside, handmade of a print that John have done of the as the of the top of every doctor's head or their silhouette of their head, their hair and hat, uh, to make a question mark with Capaldi as the as the dot and it's a lovely it's a lovely piece of artwork uh, and indicative of the sort of stuff that he does he does non-Doctor Who stuff uh, he has uh, stalls that he, he does but he's also got you know online and he's a very skilled guy he's also a very very nice guy and he uh, has done he's been very helpful to uh, Excess Malarkey the comedy club that I run every Tuesday and is a valued member of the team so please do check John out. Something I forgot to say um, is that, I don't know if you remember the TV show Soap Stars, where a load of uh, uh, actors, amateur and professional, went through a series of auditions. It was like Pop Stars, one of those shows, but it was to get a regular role in, in Emmerdale. And actually, it's, it's, this is never said, that, that, that Mark Jardine, who was the male uh, f f you know, who, who won the role of the father in the family and was a regular in Emmerdale, therefore for, I think they... they they only any of them only lasted nine months but anyway he he was the successful winner and has had a decent career since i think it gave him a bit of a, a springboard he is a he is one of the unit soldiers he's an extra in um battlefield and that is never covered thank you so much for listening 
to Happy Times and Places, which is presented by me, Toby Haydock. My special guest was John Turner. My thanks to this episode's featured patrons, who are Stephen Moffat, not that one, Sean McAllister, Darren Howard, Sarah Crotzer, Rob Dawson, Stephen White, Matthew Houliston, Sebastian April, Mark Aldridge, Anthony Carroll, Gregory Hudson, Rich Wiggins, Kevin West, Hendrik Korzeniowski, and Duncan Harvey. The music for the podcast is by Dave Gates, and the artwork by Dylan Patterson. Please rate and review this podcast wherever you get it from, and a five-star rating always helps as well. Also, subscribe to my YouTube channel. You can support me at patreon.com forward slash Toby or at ko-fi.com forward slash Toby But whatever, thanks so much for downloading and listening to this, and I hope you enjoyed it and come back for more. In the meantime, I hope all your places are very, very happy. Music